following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. At first listen, today's parable sounds rather like something any scout might tell us. Always be prepared. Plan ahead. Bring enough oil. Pack your raincoat. Know where the candles are located before the power goes out. Always be prepared. But as good as that advice might be, I do think that there is more to today's story than that. It isn't just a message about be prepared, but in fact, and more precisely, be prepared to wait. How are you at waiting? I'll be honest, I'm not great. It's hard to wait especially for something important. Your call is important to us. Please continue to hold on the line. How do you feel when you hear a phrase like that? If you haven't received your test results in two weeks, contact our office. The next available appointment is in six months. Most of us really, really don't like to wait. Partly, that's because we tend to perceive time as our own individual possession, our, our scarcest and therefore most precious resource. If time is passing and we are not producing something, then we say we are wasting time. If we are not getting something valuable in exchange for the time that we are spending, then someone else, we say, is wasting our time. We're afraid of pauses and interruptions, and perhaps most of all, we're afraid of boredom. We know, of course, that some things require time, that there are some things we simply cannot rush. A caterpillar needs time in a cocoon before it can become a butterfly. Seeds need time in soil before they can grow. Dough needs time to rise before it can be placed into the oven. And we can nod along with all those things. But surely we think our, our lives are more complicated than caterpillars or seeds. Our concerns are more important than loaves of bread. We have better things to do than to wait. And so we hardly give much thought to how we wait or what we do while we're waiting. Jesus' parable today is all about waiting and said within the context of a wedding feast. You see, in Jesus' time and place, a wedding ceremony typically was beheld in the bride's family's home. The wedding feast, which followed then, was held in the groom's family's home, usually beginning at nighttime and lasting for about a week. When the feast was set to begin, the groom would come join the bride, and together then they would walk to the banquet with the bridesmaids, whose job it was to accompany the couple, holding lamps to light the way. With no street lights or headlights, of course, it was a simple but an essential task, just provide the light. Get the couple safely through the dark into the celebration. But in Jesus' story, only half the bridesmaids are prepared to wait. And so when the groom arrives, ready to be escorted to the party, five of the ten bridesmaids are off at the all-night oil store, trying to get refills for their lamps. Eventually they do, but by the time they arrive back at the party, it's already begun. The doors have been locked. And for those five bridesmaids who were prepared, but not prepared to wait, it's simply too little too late. And the tradition of the church in the language of our scriptures, much of it, we must admit, unfortunately, patriarchal and heteronormative, the groom is a symbol for Christ. 
The groom's arrival is a symbol for Christ's second coming, the fulfillment of God's restored creation. Multiple images throughout our scriptures are used to describe this ultimate fulfillment, a new heaven, a new earth, a great wedding party, a feast. Whichever image we choose, it's about God's dream for this world becoming reality. The world set right, justice finally realized, peace and wholeness for each and for all. And so whichever image we choose, the unavoidable truth is that we are very much still waiting. Waiting for Christ's coming and for other appearances of God in our world. Waiting for justice, waiting for full inclusion, waiting for peace both within and around us. Waiting for our terrible weapons to be turned into farming tools. Waiting for God to come to help us with the help we think we need. The answer we've been praying for. The comfort we've been wanting. Whatever it is, we are still waiting. How are you at waiting? And I don't just mean now, how do you like waiting? But how do you wait? What do you do? while you're waiting. For according to today's parable, faithful waiting requires patience to be sure, but it is not passive. Waiting is not doing nothing. Waiting is active, actively preparing and persevering and even participating. Waiting isn't just bringing our lamps, expecting God to keep them burning for us. Waiting is bringing our lamps and also containers of oil, keeping alert, keeping committed, not just in the short term, but for the long run. For following Jesus always is about playing the long game. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, after all, we are realizing God's dream. We are cooperating with Christ to reconcile the whole creation. We are partnering with God, not just to make little tweaks here or there around the edges, but to transform this whole world into beloved community. This, we might say, is systems-level work on a cosmic scale. And changing whole systems takes time. Not to sound glib about it, but if we think we've been waiting for a long time, for change, for justice, for peace, just imagine how God must feel. Faithful waiting requires patience and perseverance, not allowing cynicism to snuff out our lamps. For we know the night is long, but even more, we know that dawn is on its way. And so we don't just wait for God's creation passively, we wait actively toward it. We watch for what God is doing among us already, and we participate in whatever ways we can. Like the community gathered around Joshua in today's first reading, we wait by deciding. We wait by choosing every day to act toward God's new world for which we're waiting. A couple of years ago, during the height of the pandemic, before vaccines were readily available, I remember hearing an interview with, a, I think it was a college football coach, discussing the challenge of keeping the team alert and ready when games were being canceled from time to time due to incidences of COVID-19. At the time of the interview, the team had gone, I think it was at the time, a, a few weeks without a game, preparing each week for one and then having it canceled just a a day or, or, or two before it was scheduled to take place. All we can control, the coach said, is ourselves. And so the team just kept at it, controlling what they could, 
kept practicing, kept controlling what they could, kept ensuring that they would be ready, that they would be prepared whenever it was that they would be able to play again. It was a daily decision each of them had to make, a choice, a choice to act toward that for which they were waiting. Those decisions, those choices become, of course, all the more crucial when we're waiting for something much bigger and much better than just a game. Yesterday, we know, November 11th, marked the anniversary of Armistice Day. Before it became All Veterans Day here in the United States in 1954, it was a day to commemorate the end of armed hostilities on the Western Front of the First World War, what has been called the so-called War to End All Wars. Yet now, 105 years later, we find ourselves still waiting, still praying, still advocating for our wars, to end. Still praying, still advocating, still waiting for a permanent armistice in Ukraine and in Gaza and everywhere else where our sinful addiction to violence continues to rage on. Time and time again we have learned that no war will end wars. Only peace, only nonviolence, only the conscious and consistent choice, neither to wage nor even, as the prophets imagined, to learn war anymore. That is a choice that each of us must make. Not just folks who are fighting over there somewhere, but each of us where we are, every day in our homes, in our workplaces, in our families, in our communities, in our hearts, in our minds, in the words that we choose to describe those whom we fear. Let there be peace on earth, we sing, and we'll sing again in a moment. And certainly that, peace on earth, is a core part of what we are waiting toward. But recall also the second half of that line. Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. We cannot control the whole earth, but we absolutely can and must control our choices. And that's no small thing. One of our greatest freedoms, wrote Viktor Frankl, the psychologist and Holocaust survival, survivor, one of our greatest freedoms is the freedom to choose our attitude, the freedom to choose our responses to the world and to the people who are around us. For by ourselves, we may not be able to end vast cycles of violence, but we can and we must choose not to participate in them by our actions and by our words. Our choices, however seemingly small, are the oil that we bring with our lamps, aligning our decisions with our desires, aligning our actions with our prayers, aligning ourselves with God's vision of a peaceable world. Theologian and storyteller Megan McKenna wrote a wonderful little parable that illustrates this, the importance of the decisions, the choices we make while we wait. This is the story that she tells. There was a woman who wanted peace in the world and peace in her heart and all sorts of good things, but she was very frustrated. The world seemed to be falling apart. She would read the newspapers and get depressed. One day she decided to go shopping and picked a store at random. She walked in and was surprised to see Jesus behind the counter. She looked again and again at him and finally got up enough nerve to ask, excuse me, she said, are you Jesus? I am, he said. Do you work here, she asked. No, Jesus said, I own the store. Oh, the woman said, and what do you sell here? 
Just about anything, he said. Anything, she asked. Yeah, anything you want. What do you want, she asked him. I don't know, she said. Well, feel free to walk up and down the aisles, Jesus said to her. Make a list, see what it is that you want, and then come back and we'll see what we can do for you. She did just that, walking up and down the aisles of the store. There was peace on earth and no more war, no hunger or poverty, peace in families, clean air, careful use of resources. She wrote and wrote as she walked, and by the time she got back to the counter, had a long list. Jesus took the list, skimmed through it, looked up and smiled at her, said, no problem. Then he bent down behind the counter and picked out a few things, stood up, laid out some packets on the counter. What are these? The woman asked. They're seed packets, Jesus replied. You mean I don't get the finished product, she said? No, Jesus said, this is a place of dreams. You come and you, you see what it looks like, and I give you the seeds. You plant the seeds. You go home and nurture them and help them to grow. Oh, she said, disappointed. And she left the story without buying anything. Friends, God's dream for our lives and for this world, a dream of peace, a dream of justice, a dream of creation cared for and restored. God's big, beautiful dream certainly is beyond us. But just as surely, it absolutely includes us. God gives us the seeds so that we can plant them and help them grow. It takes time for those seeds to grow, and that waiting can be very hard. But God's grace and our choices carry us through. The ways that we interact with each other, the ways that we talk about each other, the ways we treat each other, and how we care for the world around us. Our choices matter. They are the seeds of God's beloved community, the containers of oil that keep us prepared, even while we wait. So by God's grace, may we wait like wise bridesmaids, alert with plenty of lamps and plenty of oil. For the nighttime of our violence is long, but the dawn of God's peace is on its way. That thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.com.